Hello. Welcome to the FPF podcast series. This is podcast number 20, Easing Cost Accounting Standards Apprehension. My name is Todd Hatherly, and I'm the Director of Programming for Federal Publication Seminars. We're a leader in federal government contract training and professional development for the past 60 years. And every year, we offer training for thousands of businesses, federal agencies, and individuals on the legal and regulatory compliance and accounting nuances found in the federal regulations through nationwide classroom, online, and house sessions. These podcasts are really a small sampling of our important content you as a contracting professional can expect from attending an FPS program, whether you're in person or online, live or on demand, cannot find another source with the breadth and depth of experience, knowledge, and content anywhere. So please visit us at fedpubseminars.com for more information. Today, we're gonna to discuss the feared cost accounting standards, specifically addressing critical questions when considering CAS applicability in a business contract portfolio. And joining me today is Deborah Nixon from Crosshair Advisors. Deb is not only an instructor for federal publications, but more importantly, has years of experience in helping businesses navigate the cost accounting standards. Thank you for joining me today, Deb. How are you today? I'm great, Todd. It's great to be here talking about one of my favorite subjects, cost accounting standards. Isn't it everybody's favorite? I don't think so. <laughs> but we're trying to change that, right? That's right. That's right. When do I need to worry about CAS? Great question. CAS awareness. That's a frequently misunderstood and always complex topic. Knowing whether a contract triggers cash requirements is often confusing, albeit understanding trigger requirements is critical for contract compliance. So whether you're a big five aerospace and defense company that has been cash covered since the inception of CAS in the 1970s, or an emerging growth contractor eager to burst the threshold, believing CAS coverage is a strategic advantage, some might say disadvantage, success depends on knowing whether the contract triggered CAS compliance and the disclosure statement requirements, which are two different requirements that we need to consider. So it's imperative to understand whether the contract is subject to one or more of the 11 CAS exemptions, such as the contract is under the $2 million contract award value trigger threshold, or your small business um, size status relative to that particular procurement. You've commercially priced the contract. The contract was awarded under adequate price competition, or it was awarded under a FAR Part 14 sealed bidding as opposed to awarded as a FAR Part 15 negotiated contract. So a lot of exemptions, and to understand whether we've triggered CAS, we need to understand what are those 11 exemptions that we may be eligible for so that we don't trigger CAS. Once a company triggers CAS, why is it essential to ascertain the CAS status of each contract? 
Another great question. And this is one that um, people say, well, we're cast covered. We've been cast covered for decades, Deb. So it doesn't really matter to us. And I say, oh no, it does matter to you and everybody. It matters to the large longtime cast covered contractor for cast compliance issues. Whether we are trying to quantify changes to our cost accounting practices or whether we have cast non-compliance, those impacts are measured on our cash portfolio. So it's critical for big contractors who have long been long cash covered to know whether they've triggered or not. Likewise, it's important for small companies who are approaching bursting the threshold to understand whether a contract has triggered cash coverage in order to start to get the house in order, prepare the cash disclosure statements, because it may not take the award of a $50 million cast covered contract to trigger the disclosure statement requirements. We can trigger those requirements by, by smaller cast covered awards. So it is both important to large companies, longtime cast covered companies, as well as new um, contractors approaching that threshold to understand have we triggered CAS or not? So that in order to, one, be able to identify the contract as CAS covered, comply with those requirements, particularly for disclosure requirements, changes to cost accounting practices requirements, as well as quantifying CAS non-compliances. Deb, how, how do we know a contract is CAS covered or not? Yeah, so a, a tricky question. Understanding whether a contract triggered CAS is important for determining the level of CAS coverage. So first we need to understand, did we qualify for one of those 11 exemptions? And if we didn't qualify for one of those 11 exemptions, then we need to think about, okay, what level? Uh, I have a CAS contract here, a possible CAS contract, what type of CAS coverage is applicable to the contract? Mm -hmm. And I like to look at it in three buckets. The first bucket I refer to, and this is Deb Nixon talk, is a CAS eligible contract. A CAS eligible contract is a contract that is not subject to one of the 11 CAS exemptions and ranges contract award value from 2.2 million to 7.5 million. The second bucket is a modified cast covered contract, and that is triggered by a contract valued at 7.5 less than and up to $50 million and not otherwise eligible for one of those exemptions. And then lastly, we have full cast, which is triggered by a $50 million or above contract, cast covered contract, or cumulative award values in the cost accounting period of CAS contracts that cumulatively or awarded cumulatively amount to $50 million. Okay. Okay. So let's assume the contract award is CAS covered. How do you know if a disclosure statement was required? And we do get that question a lot about disclosure statements. And I think that must be a sticking point for, for a lot of businesses. Yeah, it's definitely a point of confusion for many. Um, oftentimes, I'll hear contractors say, 
well, I'm not task covered. Uh, I don't have to complete a disclosure statement because I wasn't awarded a full cast covered contract. And that may be true, but I say not so quickly because our disclosure statement trigger requirements differ from our CAS trigger requirements. CAS is applied at the contract level in to determine whether the contract triggered CAS. We're looking at the contract award at the segment or the business unit level. When we think about triggering the disclosure statement requirements, we need to look beyond the segment or the business unit level and look company-wide. For example, a company might be a home office with three segments, and two of the three segments may have cash covered contracts um, that are less than the $50 million. Let's assume I have a home office with those three segments. And in the fiscal year, segment one is awarded a $35 million contract, and that's a modified cash covered contract. Let's say segment two is awarded a $25 million contract. And again, that's a modified cash covered contract. And segment three doesn't have any CAS awards at all. In that example, while that company does not have a full CAS covered contract, they've triggered the CAS disclosure statement requirements because company-wide, they have $50 million of CAS covered awards in that fiscal year, and that triggers the disclosure statement requirement. The disclosure statement requirement would apply to the segments one and segment two, each holding a cast covered contract. Segment three, that commercial entity that doesn't hold a cast covered contract would not be required to complete a disclosure statement. However, segments one and two would complete the disclosure statement as would the home office that is allocating it's a home office cost to cast covered contracts. So in that example, where we have three segments in a home office, segments one and two are completing disclosure statements, as is the corporate home office allocating costs to those cast covered segments. Talked about contract awards, but what about subcontracts? Another good question, yes. So when we apply, CAS requirements. This is one of those flow down requirements. Um, so CAS applies to both prime contracts as well as sub tier subcontracts. And subcontracts like prime contractors are eligible for those same 11 CAS exemptions, obviously applied at the subcontract contract award value level not at the prime contract award value level. So it's important to understand that this does flow down to subcontractors and those subcontractors will evaluate the exemptions to say, is this procurement eligible for a CAS exemption? Just because the prime contract is CAS covered doesn't mean the subcontract is CAS covered. I may have a subcontract as a small business or I may be using FAR Part 12 commercial pricing for my products and services, and those would be exemptions applicable to my subcontract. Deb, looking ahead, does CAS modernization impact CAS and 
applicability. Cast modernization, yes. Well, we uh, we love cast modernization, especially um, as an, a CPA um, who talks about accounting a lot. For those right. who aren't quite familiar with cast modernization, cast modernization really focuses on bringing cost accounting standards more closely in alignment to GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles, bringing conformance of cast to GAAP where it is possible. The last time we focused on cast gap conformance was about a decade ago with pension harmonization, um, where we were seeking to conform CAS 412 and 413 pension requirements with the Pension Protection Act. Today, post-pension harmonization, Financial, tax, and government contract accounting still have different requirements despite regulatory harmonization. Most recently, CAS gap harmonization recommendations from Section 809 panel from the GAO as well as the CAS board have entertained raising CAS applicability thresholds, raising the cash trigger threshold for a contract from $2 million to perhaps $25 million, raising the full cash covered contract award value from $50 million to $100 million, doing away with modified cash coverage, and doing away with the commercial business entity exemption for disclosure statements. So while it has been, I'll say, enthusiastically received by some in government and definitely by industry, here yeah. we are about three years later and we're still waiting for changes to happen. So I'm not holding my breath. We should still <laughs> understand what the applicability and exemption requirements are because we'll be living with those for some time. And if pension harmonization gives us any indication, it's unlikely that uh, CAS and GAP, particularly CAS applicability and the existence of CAS is going to go away in any time in the near future or probably in the distant future as well. Yes, slow changes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, this is a confusing and complex topic. Do you have any recommendations for additional information? Well, as I prepared a companion deck summarizing some of the key questions that we talked about here today, so you can look in detail at what are those 11 exemptions, what are the various buckets that I talked about. So I would point you to FPS Connect, where we are making that brief deck available to accompany this podcast. In addition to that, um, I would encourage everyone, hey, if this is something that you want to understand more about, why don't you check out one of the numerous cost accounting standards classes that we offer at Federal Pup. I teach a two and a half day CAS course with my colleagues and we discuss the applicability requirements in detail as well as the 19 standards. And that is offered both um, live and virtually through multiple times throughout the year. So those are two great tools to check out if you're looking for more information. I would add to that, Deb, if uh, you're new to uh, government contracting and uh, you're an accounting professional, check out our government contract accounting course that you teach be a great base for what we're talking about here plus learn the the nuances and differences between commercial accounting and government contract accounting 
And then secondly, if you are very experienced, we have the masters in accounting at, that Deb teaches as well. So we'd love to see you at any one of those programs. And, and uh, our calendar for 2022 will be coming out uh, very soon. Thanks, Deb, for your time. Oh, you're welcome, Todd. I'm happy to discuss CAS with you anytime. Yeah, <laughs> it's a subject that uh, you could talk for hours. Um, yes, I can. <laughs> Absolutely. We appreciate everyone's listening to this podcast. And as always, if you have topics you want us to cover in a podcast, please send me a note at todd at bedpubseminars.com. Until next time, stay safe, keep your distance, and read the FAR.